Thank you, Kalen. What a voice of an angel over there. We appreciate it. Well, good morning again. We're so glad that you're here in worship with us today. would remind you that in the bulletin, there's something new. There's a devotional guide, which is provided every week based upon the message. And it's something that uh, we encourage you to use individually or in groups or both. It's something to reflect on based upon the message each day of the week. And we hope it uh, supplements your, your spiritual growth. Let us be an attitude of prayer together. Eternal God, thank you for the gift of this worship service again that grounds us, that centers us, that reminds us of what is most important. Thank you for the gift of this church we don't take for granted, the fellowship, the people, the health, the growth. Oh, Lord, help us to be and continue to be good stewards of this gift. And now, Lord, you have given to me the amazing privilege and responsibility of preaching your word. To these, my friends, and your servants, Lord, a task I always need your strength in order to do. So, Lord, speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some time ago, a a bluegrass radio station received an interesting phone call. A guy called up and spoke to the DJ on the air and said, Listen, I love your radio station. And I'm alone on my farm, and my wife has died, and my kids have gone away. I'm just alone. And three things give me joy in life. One, my farm. Two, the radio. And three, my fiddle. And sometimes I'll take out my fiddle and listen to your music and play along with you. But right now, my fiddle's out of tune, he said. The A string just doesn't work right. And I don't have a tuning fork to tune it. So would you mind just playing an A note for a minute so I can tune my fiddle? So that radio station had played the A note, that man tuned his fiddle, and they lived happily ever after. You know, fiddles aren't the only things that can get out of tune. Churches can too. Churches can forget why they exist and play the wrong note in the world. Oh, it doesn't happen all at once. Sometimes it's rather insidious. Church business sometimes replaces the business of the church. Budget concerns override kingdom concerns. Self-righteousness overpowers compassion. And oftentimes the church just settles in doing church rather than being the church. They are out of tune. And unfortunately in our denomination today, we have a few churches that have gotten out of tune. Some cynic has said that if we're up to some Christians in the church today, they would put uh, lightning rods on top of the church instead of steeples. In memory of the time lightning struck the church and against protection of it ever happening again. The good news is, is First United Methodist Church of Lakeland is not that kind of church. Oh, I love this church. I've told you before. And one thing, when I take the pulse of this church and I sense this church, you have a hunger. You have a fire to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. You don't waste time majoring in the minors. So today, this morning, my first communion with you, what I want to do is I want to harness that fire and that hunger and fine-tune ourselves as we begin a new season of ministry together. Like a pilot that goes through a checklist, I want to be sure that we continue on the right one way, flying in the right direction. So the question is, how do we fine-tune ourselves as a church? Well, it's rather simple. 
We play the A note of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sing about it. We preach about it. We pray about it. That's all we do. That's why we exist. As it says in front of your bulletin, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's why we're here. We exist to spread the love of Jesus Christ so people can experience that love and then learn to share it in the world. And it's amazing how the church of Jesus Christ can complicate that, can dilute it, or sometimes can ignore it. So how do we know when we're in tune? How do we know when we're getting it right? Well, here's the checklist. Here it is. We will be in tune, and we are in tune as a church when we reach out more than we reach in. Take a look at what Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says. This is what Jesus says. Maybe these words sound familiar to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, go therefore and find a comfortable church and attend once every six months. Oh, I'm preaching today. He doesn't say, go therefore and find a church that plays the music that you like and just go every once in a while. He doesn't say, go therefore and find a church that's filled with people who think just like you. Rather, Jesus says what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's it. That's our purpose. Now, Dr. Eugene Bryce told an interesting story about a guy who was taking a tour of the largest grease factory. That would be fun, wouldn't it? The largest grease factory. And this this guy just toured this man around, and he watched as these gears started to turn, and the wheels started spinning, and everything was roaring. It was quite a sight. And at the end of the tour, the man said to the guy, so what do you do with all this grease? I I guess you sell it, right? The guy said, no, we don't sell it. All this grease we produce, it goes back into our factory to keep our machinery lubricated. Well, that'll preach. A church that spends all of its resources and all of its time just lubricating its own machinery is a dying church. A church that forgets the needs of the community, the needs of the world, the needs of the people that God loves so much, that church, it is lights out. Take a look at what the book of Acts says about the early church. And you want to know why did the early church grow like wildfire? Quite often people ask me, Charlie, when I take a look at the book of Acts and I see how that church just blew up and grew and grew, why? Well, take a look. It says in Acts, the number of those being added to the early church was increasing daily. Why did the early church grow like wildfire? Because they were constantly enlarging their fellowship. They were constantly looking at ways to bring people who weren't yet there into the church. They were constantly looking at opportunities to reach people for the gospel. You see, inwardly churches, inwardly focused churches die and outwardly focused churches thrive. It's as simple as that. I'll prove it to you. Go inside any church that's dying and this is what you'll find. People who are preoccupied with themselves of how they always have done it, how they used to do it, unwilling to do new things, lights out. But go to a church that's thriving and growing, and this is what you'll find. 
A church that's always looking at how can we reach people who aren't yet here? How can we do it? Those churches get it. This church gets it. You know, recently I was bragging about this church. You know, forgive me, I'm guilty of the sin of pride. I have pride in this church. And I was bragging about this church to a colleague of mine. And he asked me an interesting question. He said, Charlie, well, what makes that church so healthy and strong through COVID, through all this disaffiliation stuff? What, what is so special about the First United Methodist Church of Lakeland? And I said, I believe it's two things. One, this church has a very healthy DNA. But two, this church is always reaching out more than it reaches in. This church knows that the church is the only institution in the world that exists for people who aren't yet here. This church knows that we have the greatest job in the world. We get to tell people how much God loves them and has a plan for their life. We're healthy. But you know what? We can also improve. Amen? We can grow more, do more, reach out more. So I want to give you a challenge in the form of two questions. The first is this. If pleasing God was our only goal rather than pleasing ourselves, how would we do ministry as a church? The second is this. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Look around you. Now, this worship service is pretty well attended for this early hour. But look around you. There are open spaces. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? A faith worth having is a faith worth sharing. We will be in tune when we reach out more than we reach in. But there's another way we're in tune. Oh, and hear me good. This church will be in tune, and we are in tune when we are inclusive rather than exclusive. Take a look at this text from John 3.16. Maybe you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now notice what Jesus does not say again. He doesn't say, for God so loved the beautiful people. Thank the Lord. He doesn't say, for God so loved the Democrats. For God so loved the Republicans. For God so loved the Christians. doesn't say, for God so loved the United Methodists. For God so loved the what? The world! And would you believe sometimes the great irony is sometimes the church forgets that word is in that very text? I don't need to tell you. We have a myriad of denominations, don't we? And we have some folks who don't agree with denominations, and so they become non-denominational, and by doing so, they become denominational. Amen? And we have some churches who come together and push people aside based upon how they baptize or how they worship or how they read scripture they draw a line based upon how you should pray how you should interpret scripture how you should vote and all the while all of these christians are forgetting that jesus said the world will know you're my disciples not by how you pray and not by how you baptize And not by how you vote, but by what? How you love one another. That's what I read in Scripture. I believe one of the biggest problems facing the church of Jesus Christ today is not has nothing to do with morality, has nothing to do with theology, 
has nothing to do with dogma. It has to do with a contrast people experience when they experience a Christian whose beliefs and actions don't match. Would you believe, now some of you aren't going to believe this, but would you believe that some Christians actually preach love and forgiveness but act hateful? First John is clear. It's impossible to say you love God and hate your brother. And I'll also say this. Any religion that leads you to hate somebody has nothing to do with Christianity and has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing. We must evangelize, yes. And we must make disciples, amen. That is our job. But we have no right to act exclusively at all. Remember, in the New Testament, it's God and Jesus Christ who's going to the ungodly. In Jesus' stories, get this, in Jesus' stories, it's the religiously wrong who often get it right or closer to the kingdom. It's amazing. I mean, the Good Samaritan is religiously wrong, has the wrong version of Scripture, worships in the wrong way, yet in Jesus' parable, it's the Good Samaritan that is closer to the kingdom. In Matthew 8, it's a pagan centurion soldier who has greater faith than Jesus has ever seen. So watch out. Watch out in the New Testament. The outsiders often become the insiders. And Jesus' judgments are reserved for those who think they're the only insiders. The closer we get to Jesus Christ... I believe when it comes to spiritual growth and growing in our faith, the closer we get to Christ, the more loving and merciful we are to everyone. Because we know that God loves them too. And Christ died for them too. And if God loves them too, and Christ died for them too, and God treats them the same way He treats us, we better treat them in the same way, hoping they'll be in the kingdom too. Amen? We need to remember... But the early church and Christianity, when it's healthiest, always grows through fascination, not coercion. Madame Liangle said, and this is one of my favorite quotes, she said, Our job as Christians is to reflect a light that is so lovely and so beautiful and so compelling that everyone who sees it and everyone who experiences wants to know with all their heart the source of it. That is our job. A few years ago, I heard a a speaker at a conference tell a very interesting story. He was uh, a preacher, and he plays golf. Some of us do that sometimes, despite how bad we are. And he was playing this course, this really nice course. And uh, they were in the middle of the round, and the cart girl came by. And they, you know, they wanted refreshments, and the cart girl saw... This guy was speaking, he had a golf shirt on and it had the church's logo on it. And she said, oh, oh, you go to that church? He said, yeah, actually, I happen to be the pastor. And he said to her, hey, do you you like this job being a cart girl? And she said, no, not really. Old guys flirt with me and they get drunk and say all kinds of crazy things. But you know what? It pays the bills and I can't find any other kind of job. Well, it seemed like she wanted to talk more, but there were golfers waiting. And you don't want to hold up golfers, God forbid. Well, after the round was over, this car girl saw this preacher was getting into his car with his clubs and said, excuse me, I I hate to bother you, but I don't know why I'm telling you this. But you seem nice and 
And, and you're a pastor, so I'm just going to tell you this. I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. I've been in prison three times for drug possession. I've lost custody of my kids because of my drinking. And I'm tired of this life. She said, I'm going with a guy who has drug problems and I just want something more, something lasting. And then she said this. I'm really nervous asking this, but I have to ask you, would, would I, would I be welcome in your church just knowing what you know about me? He said, absolutely. I'm giving you a personal invitation to our church this Sunday. In fact, you're going to sit with my wife. And she came. And they gave her a Bible. And would you believe that young lady is still in that church today? A solid Christian and she leads the AA group in the church. It's first time I met this church of Lakeland, the kind of church that would welcome somebody who's been in prison three times for drug possessions and has lost custody of their children because of drinking. I already know the answer. You are that kind of church. You've proven it. But let me say this. If we weren't that kind of church, we wouldn't be a church. We'd be an event center, a recreation center, a nonprofit. But we wouldn't be the church of Jesus Christ. We'll be in tune as a church. We are in tune as a church when we're inclusive rather than exclusive. But there's one more. We'll be in tune as a church when we show mercy rather than judgment. Take a look at these texts of Scripture in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then later it says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I'll tell you, too many Christians... Too many Christians get angry at other people because they sin differently than they do. Can I get a witness? Too many Christians are known for their judgment rather than their mercy. Too many Christians are not known for their love. Too many Christians are known in this world today for being arrogant and self-righteous and hypocritical. And people who experience that say, why am I right mind when I want to go to church? Why am I right mind when I want to be like that? That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? I recall playing golf on vacation and being paired with another guy. Sometimes they do that. You you golfers out there, you go on vacation and, you know, your wife doesn't want to play because she's actually happy and healthy in this life. She doesn't play golf. (laughs) So you go out and play and they pair you with, with a stranger. And I like that. I like meeting new people, but I may tell you this. I never tell them what I do for a living while we're playing golf. Because when you do that, no more fun. I could write a book about it. You can't have fun anymore. And they also expect you to give them three-foot putts. No way. He's a pastor. He should give it to me. Uh Uh-uh. Well, so... 
this guy I was playing with, after the round, I told him what I did for a living, and he was shocked. He said, you got it, get out, you got to be kidding me, you're a preacher? And I took that as a compliment, by the way. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. And he said to me, I kid you not, I'll never forget this. He, he said, Why? I said, why are you so surprised? And he kind of hesitated and he said, I don't know. You're just, you're just, you're just nice. (laughs) Now, I'm not always the hero of my stories, okay? Uh, I'm going to tell you that. But I was that day. The church needs to look itself in the mirror and ask, what are people seeing in us? Are they seeing Jesus? It's like that alcoholic that I heard talk one time that said, you know what? He was, he was an active Christian. He said, you know what I miss most about being an alcoholic? He said, I miss the fellowship of the bar. They knew my name. I felt affirmed and valued. I could say anything. They had heard it all before. They didn't judge me. And then he said this, and I'll just never forget it. He said, Why can't the church be more like a bar like that? And instead of dispensing liquor, it dispenses grace. I close with this. Maybe you've heard the name Lee Strobel. He's written all kinds of books. Maybe you've read them. The Case for Christ. The Case for Faith. Pretty good books. He was a an atheist journalist, and then he looked at all the evidence of the faith and decided to become a Christian. Fascinating story. Well, he tells the same closing story in most of his speeches about this young adult, this young girl he tried to convert. She was agnostic. And he presented argument after argument. He was an apologist. He is an apologist. Argument after argument after argument. Listening to sermons she did, messages that he gave. And she wouldn't budge. Then sometime later, he heard to the grapevine that she had converted. And he assumed that it was something he said. So he called her up. He said, what did it? What did it? What argument was it? What did I say? What sermon was it? What did I do? And she said, well, Mr. Strobel, I'm sorry to tell you, it was nothing that you said. He said, what? What was it? And she said, well, it's pretty simple. I was in a bad season of my life and had messed up terribly. And I had a couple of Christian friends who didn't judge me, but loved me through it. And then she said, I saw Jesus in them and I wanted what they had. We'll be in tune as a church. When people see Jesus in us, we'll be in tune as a church when we reach out more than we reach in, when we're inclusive rather than exclusive, and we show mercy rather than judgment. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Eternal God, we need your help. Oh Lord, by your grace. By your grace, your empowering, sanctifying grace, help us to be more like Jesus. 
Thank you for joining us in worship today. We hope this has been a time of inspiration and, and meaning and encouragement for you. Receive this benediction. And now may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ go with you and sustain you both now and forevermore. Amen.